Amen. All right, we're going through uh, the book of Colossians. So please turn in your Bibles to the book of Colossians. And um, I'll be reading Colossians chapter 1, verse 24 to the end of the chapter. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Of this church I was made a minister, according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God, that is, the mystery, which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory." We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. In what way is Christ central to the ministry at Trinity Bible Church? Or I'll put it another way, um, in what way should Christ be central in the ministry of Trinity Bible Church? He's central, but we can improve um, uh, in this and, and according to scripture. This letter of Colossians is about the centrality and the all-sufficiency of Christ, the person of Christ. That's the main point of the letter. That's why Paul wrote this letter to the Colossians. And the, the passage that I read um, at the end of chapter one is the portion of the letter. Paul usually at this, around this part of the letter, he'll update the people that he's writing to, the church that he's writing to about his own ministry. And so he does that here. But in keeping with the point of the letter, his real point is to not just describe his ministry or give them an update about his ministry, but to point out the way in which Christ, the person of Christ is central and all sufficient in his ministry. And so he does it in a number of ways. And we got partway through the passage just last time. So some of this will be review and then we'll um, pick up. But he does it in a number of ways in this uh, passage. Um, in verse 24, he points out that his sufferings that are part of his ministry, in fact, he's in prison when he's writing, are somehow, he doesn't explain how exactly, but somehow working life for other Christians, even for other Christians that he hasn't met. It's an amazing point. He doesn't really explain the whole point, but the, the real point that he makes is that this is takes place only because of Christ. It's an important part of his ministry. He suffers, others benefit. Uh, even those that he hasn't met, other believers uh, benefit, and it's because they share the life of Christ together. Uh, and that's the point. It's a way that Christ is central in his ministry. And then verse 25 through 27, we kind of grappled with these uh, verses last time, and this is a kind of a point where Paul uh, peers across the vast space of time and the whole scope of history and, and points out that his ministry fits into history like the last piece of a puzzle. There's kind of a satisfaction in putting the last piece uh, in a puzzle, and that's the way Paul feels about his ministry, especially the surprising thing of the gospel going out to the Gentiles now and Paul himself being um, involved in that. And uh, it's the last piece of a puzzle because of Christ. The reason why the Gentiles can be grafted into everything that was promised uh, for the Jews kind of ahead of time is because Christ lives in them. Christ brings them near. And so it's another way in which Christ is uh, central 
to Paul's ministry. And now we come to verse 28 and 29. We kind of uh, just kind of went through it quickly, and then we so we'd go through it um, this morning um, in a more detailed way. And he's still talking about how Christ is central to his ministry, but now he's to the most practical part. He's pointing out not uh, points that are hard to figure out or, or uh, sweeping and how he fits into history, but how Christ is central to what he spends his time doing day in and day out. And so uh, these are practical ways. This verse traces out. These verses trace out practical ways for us to in which Christ is and should be central to what we spend our time doing here. Uh, as a church, to the mission of the church um, as well. So uh, this morning, I want to show you three ways in which Christ, the person of Christ, is central to what we do. And that'll be a good preparation for the Lord's Supper um, as well as we remember Christ in this um, special way. But the first way in which Christ is central to what we do is this. Christ is our message. Christ is our message. comes from verse 28. We proclaim him. We proclaim him. We proclaim a Christ. Um, interesting, Paul has been speaking about himself. He's been using the word I, and he sees himself as a unique figure in the whole scope of history. But here he switches to we. We proclaim him because he's including the people that he's writing this letter with, like Timothy, like Luke. Um, he's including other co-workers, Epaphras. Uh, he's including those that he's writing this letter to. And he's including us, too, as we read this later. We proclaim Christ. We proclaim Christ. And that's uh, perhaps the main way here in which Christ is central. Christ is our message. There are many good things that believers can and should do. Many worthy things that believers uh, in Christ can and should do. We're living in a time where it seems like common sense itself is under attack in our country and, and sometimes in new ways, ways that haven't really been tried uh, before. And so even Christians have a responsibility to stand. And different Christians in various ways at different times have different responsibilities uh, to stand just for truth, for justice, for common sense um, as well. No two Christians have the same responsibility. Uh, no one's responsibility is zero. So that you're just the spectator in that. No, you have a response, you have a responsibility, uh, at some level. And sometimes we stand together with unbelievers as well. They're standing for common sense too. And that's a good thing. And we stand with them. We're, we're saying the same thing, uh, about this. But this is one thing that unbelievers won't do with us. Nobody's going to do this for us to proclaim Christ. It's only the church that proclaims uh, Christ. And it's it's uh, the reason for the church to exist now in this age. The Lord could take us to heaven. We belong to him. Um, that's where that's our home. Um, but the reason why the church exists now as strangers and uh, pilgrims is for this purpose, to do this. And Christ is central in it. He's the message. We proclaim the person of Christ. It's It's what we're doing as a church. It's why we're here. It's what we're doing together. We're all involved in this project together. We proclaim Christ. And so I wish this were uh, written on the walls of our church. We proclaim Christ or on our doors of the church. 
or on the dashboard of our cars as we drive away. Or I wish it were written um, on the doors of our home or over our kitchen or our uh, living room. Or if I wish it were written on our Bibles as we pick them up and read it. But actually, I don't know why I wish that. It is written in our Bible. It's right here. We proclaim Christ. We proclaim Christ. And this was very important to Paul. In fact, he talks about it um, in other parts of um, his letters where he, he starts with this to talk about it, to draw out the significance of it. We proclaim Christ and not ourselves. We proclaim Christ and not ourselves. So that's different from other teachers who might show up in town and they've, you know, got some sort of insight and they're going to tell you how to live. Um, and so Paul says, no, that's not what we're doing. We're not proclaiming ourselves, but Christ and ourselves as, as bond servants for your sake, as we proclaim Christ to you. And so, uh, that's, that's us as well. Christ is central because our message to the world is not uh, ourselves. It's not, well, we've figured out life and uh, we think you, sh- you should be just like us. You should, you should figure things out uh, just as, as we have. That's why you should listen to us. No, we proclaim Christ. And actually, we're proclaiming one who is opposed. He's opposite to all that lives in our souls apart from him because we come to him as sinners with nothing to offer to him. And then Christ changes us. He, uh, he uh, transforms us uh, as well. So we proclaim Christ, a Savior for sinners. That is our uh, message. The word that's used for this, for giving this message, is important. It's the word proclaim. It's the word proclaim. And other words, you could think of other words for, for uh, a message that we have to give that's important. Um, for example, uh, it doesn't say we command Christ. We command Christ. It says we proclaim Christ. It's an announcement. Um, it's what you do with news. And that's what this is. In fact, that's what Paul calls it in verse 23. He calls it good news. Good news is to be proclaimed and good news is to be believed. What matches a proclamation is faith. What matches a command is obedience. And that's good. That has a place too. I'm going to talk about that in a moment. But that's not the word he uses here. He uses the word announce. He uses the word proclaim. And it matches faith. A proclamation is to be believed. And especially this proclamation matches faith because it's a proclamation. A proclamation of Christ is a proclamation of love. A proclamation of love of such a kind that only faith can grasp it. And that is, it's it's a proclamation of love for the most undeserving. That when we proclaim Christ, and especially his work on the cross, why he went to the cross, why he stretched out his hands naked to die in shame uh, before a sinners uh, in our places, because that's what we deserve. And that's who his love is for. It's for us sinners. And so as we proclaim Christ, we're uh, proclaiming a message of love and no works can match it. No works can match it. Or no fitness for this kind of love can match it because that's not the kind of love it is. It's not the love for the, for those who deserve it or who, who are beginning to deserve it. It's the love for those who don't deserve it. And so faith matches this proclamation like a key, like a key. If you have a key to your house, you could say, well, I'm going to make a good improvement on this key. I'm going to take the blade part of it and I'm going to weld some more bumps and decorative things onto it, uh, to make an improvement. No, that won't improve it. That'll make it to where it doesn't fit the lock anymore. And it's the same with this proclamation of love for the undeserving in Christ. When we proclaim Christ and we're proclaiming his person 
especially as it's demonstrated in that central work that he did of dying on the cross. That's why he came. That's why he became a man and died uh, for sinners like us, of dying on the cross in a love of a kind the world has never seen before and then rising from the dead uh, for us. It's a proclamation of love for the most undeserving. It's only for the most undeserving. You try to deserve it, and you, that's not the key that fits this uh, lock. And that love that's in Christ goes all the way back to the heart of the Father. It's the Father's love for you. When you trust that Christ is for you, when he's offered for you, then you know how the Father uh, feels towards you. It's he has love by, by which he sent his son to be uh, your savior. That faith can't happen. That faith that brings you into a whole new life, brings you into a whole new kind of life. Faith can't happen unless Christ is proclaimed to us. And it can't happen for others unless we proclaim Christ to them. And then you can't grow in that faith unless you're constantly being reminded like this, where I'm, I'm proclaiming Christ again, or at the Lord's table, where Christ is proclaimed in a really special way, uh, in a very personal way uh, as well. That's what causes faith to grow. And when we receive that proclamation of, of the news of Christ by faith, it's a death. That's the way the scripture describes that a death of the old self, a death of the old life, and the old life which is characterized by grasping by selfishness uh, for self. And it's not just a one-time death. It's a death that we die daily as Christ is proclaimed and we receive it uh, by faith. So we die in his death. His death becomes ours. That's how the scripture uh, speaks of it. And then his life becomes ours. His resurrection life, the life that he lives uh, to God becomes ours as well. We share in that too. Not only the death that he died in our place for the uh, what we deserve for our sins, but the life that he lives. And it's a different kind of life. It's a life of giving. It's a life of love. It's a life with uh, thanksgiving uh, as well. It's a kind of life that can only be grasped by faith. And so this proclamation, it's our responsibility to do it. That's what he's talking about as well. But it sustains our life in Christ as well. So that uh, the Bible says things like, this is the victory by which we overcome our faith. Because Christ is still being proclaimed to us. Or our hearts are cleansed by faith. Or we're sanctified by faith. Or we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and who gave himself uh, for us. And so this proclamation of Christ stands at the center of everything that we do. Everything that we minister and we minister to you at the church by proclaiming Christ. And then you're a minister too. You're a minister to everyone at church and to those in the world as well by proclaiming Christ. Well, I said it's a proclamation. I specifically contrasted it to a command. I contrasted it to a command, but there's commands too. There's commands too. In fact, uh, one of the other passages that would be a great motto for a church, one is this, we proclaim Christ. That would be a great motto for a church. Uh, but a, another one, equally as good or better, um, it comes from the end of Matthew. It's the Great Commission as well, and it talks about the life of discipleship, of uh, growing. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. Yeah, there's the commands. Uh, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so there's commands too. We proclaim Christ. We teach commands as well for people uh, to obey. The growing in Christ means obeying his uh, command. Every command, however, relates to the proclamation of Christ, his person that's received by faith. I'll give you a a, a couple of ways in which it still relates to the proclamation of Christ. One is all the commands 
reflect the character of Christ as he's set forth in that proclamation of salvation and the good news and forgiveness to be received by faith. It's a special kind of love that's proclaimed. All the commands fit into and work out that we're to obey, work out that love. So that Paul in Romans 13, he mentions a bunch of commands that we're to be obeying, we're to be growing it, they're non-negotiable, we're to be obeying all of those commands. And then he says, love is a fulfillment of the law, and it's the love that's set forth in the gospel. It stands behind and actually goes beyond all of the commands uh, that we are taught. Love is the fulfillment of uh, the law. So we hear the proclamation of Christ, believe it by faith, we obey the commands that a Christian has to obey. Uh, the commands and, and what the spirit that stands behind those, the spirit of love and love for even the most undeserving like we have uh, in the gospel uh, itself. The commands are done and obedience to those commands is done resting in the favor of God that comes through Christ. And that's how it's acceptable to God when you're doing it not to earn God's favor, but you're doing it because you're resting in his favor. You're living close uh, to him. And then the, there's power comes for those commands from sharing his life as he's proclaimed to you. In fact, that's what Paul says right before our verse talks about um, Christ or Paul's ministry to make known the riches of the glory of, Christ, of uh, a mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ lives in us. He dwells in us and we share his life as well. And that's where the power comes from for obeying all of those uh, of those commands. So how is Christ central in a practical way, to all we do at Trinity Bible Church, Christ is our message. Christ is our message. Whenever we have a message to give, whether it's from the pulpit, whether it's to your neighbors, uh, whether it's to your coworkers, Christ himself is the message to be uh, proclaimed. And that's what we're doing uh, together uh, at church. When was the last time you proclaimed Christ to someone else? Maybe it's been a, maybe it's been a while. Since you've done that, and it doesn't have to be complicated, it can be very simple, but it's a proclamation of Christ. It's an announcement of the good news offered to them in uh, Christ, that Christ himself is the savior of the world. He's the savior of from sins, uh, and forgiveness is found only uh, in him. So what are practical ways in which Christ is central? Christ is our message. We proclaim Christ Christ is our goal. There's a goal that we have. We're not just proclaiming Christ with no goal in mind. There's a goal that we have as well. And Paul talks about that. And not only the message, but the goal has everything to do with Christ, with the person of Christ. It's another way in which Christ is central. Paul says, verse 28, we proclaim him admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. We present every man complete in Christ. We're going to talk about these terms, admonishing every man and teaching every man and with all wisdom. But the the goal here that Paul has in mind for proclaiming Christ and for, for doing it in these ways is to present an offering of people, of people actually, to present an offering to God of every man complete in Christ, or it could just as easily be translated mature, in Christ, that would be good. Complete is good because I think he's telling the Colossians and he's telling us there's nothing outside of Christ in this goal that we have. It's completed in uh, Christ. And so we're um, offering up others. We're helping others to grow in 
Christ. We're helping them to be mature in Christ, and Christ is the goal. His character is the goal as we make an offering to others up to uh, to a maturity. Maturity as measured by Christ is uh, the goal, and so Christ himself is uh, the goal. We proclaim him admonishing every man, teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. You need wisdom to be complete in Christ. You need to teach other people wisdom uh, and help them to have wisdom in order for them to be mature and complete in uh, Christ. And so this is the same wisdom that Paul prayed for in uh, chapter 1 and verse 9 of uh, this of this letter. He prayed for uh, wisdom. It takes wisdom to follow Christ. It takes wisdom to know how to express the character of Christ in different circumstances. And we have commands that, like I said, they're non-negotiable. They're one size uh, fits all, but there's a lot of life that doesn't fit into that. Um, there's a lot of life where there's, we don't know a direct command, but it's still something God cares about. And so to be mature in Christ is to have the wisdom to know how to reflect and express the character of Christ in that uh, situation. There's a time to kill, time to heal, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time for peace, a time for war, a time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing. And it takes wisdom to know um, what time. Uh, two people can be living in the same time, and for one it's one time, and for one it's another time, and they're both being faithful to the Lord. It takes wisdom uh, for that. And so uh, Paul uh, says that as part of uh, the goal that we have in proclaiming Christ, of presenting every person mature in Christ. Uh, he prays for the teaching and admonishing of uh, wisdom. Well, he said, we proclaim Christ. We proclaim Christ. That's our message. But he puts this with it. These are two activities that accompany proclaiming Christ. Admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. And so along with the proclamation of Christ goes admonishing and uh, teaching uh, as well. The word admonishing here can be translated in a number of ways because it, it, it can refer to a number of different activities as it, as it comes across. The most commonly way it's translated is counsel, counsel, counseling Every man, but it, it, uh, counsel is good, but it can also mean admonish. It can mean soothe as well. It just depends on uh, the need of the moment. What it literally means is to place in the mind, to place in the mind of someone else. You can see those words in uh, the Greek, to place in the mind. And so it's the idea of putting something in somebody's mind when there's a struggle, when there's pushback coming from the other side. So admonish could be soothe if somebody is, has anxiety, and, and so you're trying to help them with that. Um, and so you're putting something in their mind when there is, uh, it's, a, it's a struggle. It's a struggle. And so admonishing every man or counseling every man and teaching every man with all wisdom. And that's what the process of maturity in Christ is like. It's a struggle. It's a struggle. And so we proclaim Christ. We don't just give the information and sit back. And that's it. No, there's a there's a whole uh, process of maturity in uh, the church, and it involves engaging in this placing in the mind, this uh, counsel, this uh, struggle, uh, this teaching as well. Uh, and it's done. It seems like it's it's described here as done one on one. 
So the proclamation happens, that, that can happen in a group like, like this, where we're proclaiming Christ. But then these activities come along later and accompany the proclamation of the word of admonishing every man and teaching every man so that we may present every man complete in all wisdom. And it seems to be that Paul's saying this happens one-on-one. This happens uh, one-on-one. Um, some have pointed out that this every man, which he mentions three times, and it could just as easily, by the way, be translated every person. It's not referring to males at all. That's not what the word means, uh, every person. But uh, some have said, well, Paul's just pointing out that his ministry is to both Jews and Greeks. And he, he has just got done saying that in uh, verse um, 27. But uh, I've, I've noticed when Paul makes that point, there's about seven or eight other places in the New Testament, he always puts it in the plural, that his ministry is for all men, or that would be all people, all people. But here he says it's specifically, and it's the only time he does this, it's for every person. And he mentions that three times. It's a really important part uh, of this, admonishing every person. We proclaim Christ. That's our message, but it's accompanied by this admonishing every person, teaching every person so that we may present every person complete in Christ. And it, here's my point is it's one on one ministry. It's, it's a directed, uh, ministry. And so, uh, if you say, well, you know, I'm not really a public speaker. I've always been afraid of that and I don't really enjoy doing that. I don't see myself uh, doing on that. Uh, and so because of that, this motto that I've been talking about, we proclaim him, would be better, you know, maybe as a, at the seminary or somewhere where preachers are training, but it doesn't, it doesn't refer to me. It doesn't refer to me. Well, you may not be a group speaker. That may not be what God has called you to, but you can certainly sit down one-on-one with another person and do this activity, this important activity that accompanies the proclamation of Christ putting Christ into their mind, teaching them the commandments of Christ as well. And of course, what I'm referring to is discipleship. That's kind of our emphasis for this fall and uh, for this spring. And we want everybody to be involved in it, whether you're part of one of the uh, official groups or not. It's it's what we're doing here uh, as uh, a church, and it's done one-on-one. Paul himself was involved in this work, not just proclaiming to groups. He did that. He did that. But also he says, I went house to house. I admonished each one of you like a father admonishes his uh, child. And in doing this aspect of the ministry of not just proclaiming it to a group, but placing the truth in someone's mind and seeing if it's placed in their mind amidst pushback. And, well, it's not going to fit in this way. I'm going to fit the same thing in this way because it's individual to that person. In that part of the task of proclamation, Paul needed help. Paul needed help of other believers and saw himself not just as a public speaker and then let the chips fall where they may, but as the leader of a team of proclaiming Christ and then individually uh, coming alongside to uh, to do this work uh, as well. And so every one of us is involved in this work. We proclaim, not just I proclaim Christ, Paul says, but we proclaim Christ admonishing every person. There's an individual focus here and teaching every person so that we may present every person complete in Christ. So it's a goal has much to do with the person of Christ. And it has, it's, it's uh, implemented by this individual uh, ministry that we're all to be involved in. So why do you go to Trinity Bible church? Why do you go to Trinity Bible church? Um, We are not the only church in town. In fact, we're not the only good church 
in town. And uh, good churches may be hard to find. I hear that, and I believe that. But um, you can find them if you, you can find a good church. So why do you go to Trinity Bible Church? What would be your top five reasons? Why do you go to this church and not um, another church? And you might say for that, well, near the top would be uh, the teaching. And some of the sermons are better than others. I know that for sure. Uh, but you say, well, at least I know at Trinity that the preacher is going to be setting, attempting to set forth what the scripture says and not his own ideas. And that's a good reason. Or you could say, well, it's the doctrine. You know, I, I know they're faithful to the doctrine of scripture at Trinity Bible Church. Or you could say, um, my reason is to be closer to God. That's why I go to church. It's a good reason. Or to grow. To grow. That's a, those are all excellent uh, reasons for the church, for, for going to this church. But how far down on your list of reasons for going to this church, or where on your list would this be? How close to the top of the list would this be? I'm going to Trinity Bible Church because I'm making an offering to God. And I'm very concerned that my offering be pleasing to the Lord, the one that I'm presenting to God. Well, what, what offering are you talking about? Well, it's the other people that go to the church. They're the offering that I'm bringing to the Lord. That's what Paul says that we're to be involved in, in the church. We proclaim him admonishing every person, teaching every person with all wisdom so that we may present every person complete in Christ. And he uses the language of an offering, presenting it before the Lord. So he says, and we're, we're doing this for every person, not the best people at the church or the, the elite at uh, the church, uh, so to speak, but I'm, you say, I'm doing this for every, everyone, each one. That's the, what Paul mentions, plus the people that we're going to reach together, each of them, admonishing them, uh, teaching them with all wisdom so that we may present each person uh, complete in Christ. In other words, you're not to be here for yourself, but you're to be here for others. If you were just to be here for yourself, and I gave you some good reasons why you, you should be here for yourself, uh, to grow in the Lord, um, to benefit in that way. But if you're just here for yourself as your reason for being uh, in church, there'd be some other way to grow than going to a church. Uh, if you were just here for yourself, the Holy Spirit would work differently. If you're just here for yourself, the Christian virtues would be different Christian virtues than the ones that are going to be described in chapter 3 and chapter 4, where Paul describes Christian virtues. And then he says, beyond all of these is the virtue of love. Put it on as uh, the perfect bond of unity. Now, if you were just to be here for yourself, there'd be other Christian virtues that would be prominent, like um, taking a vow of silence <laughs> or uh, cloistering yourself or something like that would, to grow nearer. Uh, to God. No, if you're just here for yourself, going to church for yourself, you'd actually have a different kind of God than the God that we worship. Because the God that we worship demonstrates who he is by an act of love for others. And we grow into him by doing the same, by, by loving others and by working to uh, present every person complete in Christ. And so uh, nearer to the top of your list should be that you come to this church because you're invested in the life of others, in the life of others and causing them to grow. And uh, Tim talked about this this morning. There's a crown. We're going to appear before the judgment seat 
of Christ, then there's going to be a reward. And some of that is going to be other people that you've presented in, in your part in uh, their maturity. And there's going to be a, a crown and a reward uh, for that um, as well as we persist uh, in that. It should be our reason. It should be near the top of our list as our reason for coming to church, not, not for self, but for others and for the, especially this uh, ministry of causing others to mature in Christ. So how is Christ central to all we do at Trinity Bible Church? Christ is our message. Christ is our message. Christ is our goal. Christ is involved in the goal. The goal is actually maturing others. In Christ, and that maturity is is uh, is measured by Christ likeness, Christ likeness, and it's it's pleasing to God through Christ uh, as well. It's offered to God in Christ. So Christ is our goal. The person of Christ is our goal. And finally, Christ is our strength. Christ is our our strength. Verse twenty nine. For this purpose also, I labor, striving according to His, that's Christ, His power, which works mightily. Within me, Paul's mentioned a bunch of activities uh, so far that we've been going over: proclaiming, um, admonishing, teaching, and presenting. And he's saying it's not just me that's involved; it's, it's what we're all involved in. Everyone, everyone that's uh, touched in any way by my ministry is uh, involved in all of these activities: proclaiming, admonishing, teaching, and presenting, like an offering to others. Um, are these activities hard or easy? can ask you, you can answer it in your mind. Is it a hard task or is it an easy task? Well, we could ask Paul. Well, Paul says here, for this purpose also I labor, and that word wasn't enough, so we put another one that means almost the same thing, striving. I labor, striving. The first word that he uses has to do with um, working to the point of exhaustion. It's a word that has to do with weariness. Words It has to do with putting your head on the pillow at night and you're you're exhausted. Or as Tim was talking about today, like an athlete, coach tells him, leave it all on the field. Leave it all on the field so that you're weary uh, after you're done. So Paul says, that's the kind of uh, labor that I'm doing. It's hard. It's hard. It's not easy. It's hard. For this purpose, I labor. And then the, the second word that he uses comes from athletics. It comes from a sports, from being part of a struggle with an opponent, from being part of a contest. And so I labor striving. Uh, you, if you, you could ask Paul if it's hard or easy, or you could ask Epaphras. And that was Paul's friend. He's the one who planted the church in um, Colossae. And Paul says to the Colossians as he writes this letter, chapter 4, verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greeting, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers, that you may stand perfect. Oh, he's the same goal. He has the same goal. He's presenting other. That's what he's laboring for. That you may stand perfect and fully assured in the will of God. For I testify for him that he has a deep concern for you and those who are in Laodicea and uh, Hierapolis. And so um, is um, the day-to-day ministry in the church, is it hard or is it easy? And Paul says it's hard. Satan doesn't like it. He opposes it. The world doesn't like it. We can count on that. And so as we proclaim Christ as we admonish others or counsel others or soothe others, whatever it takes, or teach them to obey the commandments of Christ that we would present them as uh, an offering. The world opposes us in ways both subtle and overt, <laughs> in ways that are very overt sometimes, and then in other ways like a like a child who does something and you're not sure he really intended it. 
did he really mean that? You know, and so the world's opposing us in, in all those kinds of ways. And then, and then your flesh doesn't like it. Your flesh doesn't like it either. And that your flesh is you. It's all that you are apart from Christ, apart from faith. Uh, in Christ. And so each one of us carries around something with, with us that opposes this work at every step. It's a struggle to be presented in Christ. It's not a straight, smooth line. It's a, it's a line with a lot of setbacks. Uh, it's uh, jagged. And it's also a struggle to present others complete and to be involved in the work of presenting others complete in Christ uh, as well. It's toil and it is uh, a contest. So it takes work. It takes work and it takes the work. He mentions exhaustion, but it takes even the the struggle of embracing a situation where you don't know all that is required in advance, all the variables. In fact, it takes wisdom. That's why Paul prays for wisdom and wisdom is a part of this. It, It involves embracing a task where you have a game plan. It's like athletics. Again, you've got a game plan, but you don't know exactly how it's all going to go in advance. And so you have to have the courage to embrace it as a struggle and it is uh, work. And God has a way of sending us into situations like that, where we are in a in a uh, contest where we don't have all the answers ahead of time. We have to depend on him. His sovereignty is not a substitute for sending us into situations like that. It actually gives confidence that the sovereign God is on our side so that we embrace situations and toil like this. So um, these, this uh, task, all these ways in Paul's ministry, his day-to-day ministry, in which Christ is central in all these ways, is uh, difficult, is difficult. But the difficulty is matched and surpassed, and surpassed by the power of Christ, the power of Christ. And that's another way in which Christ is central to everything that Paul uh, does. For this purpose, I labor, striving according to... His power, which mightily works uh, within me. In this uh, passage, verse 28 to 29, that I've been uh, covering, it's kind of a gem-like passage. It's a wonderful passage to preach on. Um, The first word of verse 28 is him, Christ. The last word in verse 29 is power. It's power. There's power that comes from uh, Christ. And so... How we underestimate, and I'm not speaking just to those of us who are weak in faith, but all of us, how we underestimate that when ministry centers on Christ, when we proclaim Christ, when we work hard to present others complete in Christ in various ways, one-on-one, and it's, you, you have to get your hands dirty and get down into the, into the, uh, the, the task of that, which is a difficult task. But how we underestimate when our ministry centers on Christ, there is great power at work. And it's the power of Christ at work. That's how Paul says it. I labor striving according to his power that mightily works in me. And so as Paul gives himself to this task, there's a, there's a current that he's swept along in. There's another power. And it's the power that comes from Christ um, himself. It's a power that comes from Christ himself. So in what ways is Christ central to all that we do? In what ways should Christ be central to all that we do? Well, he's our message. We proclaim Christ. He's our goal. We're presenting others 
complete in Christ and doing the hard work that comes from presenting others complete in Christ. And then he's our strength. There's a power that comes from Christ. It's a resurrection power. The same word that's used, energy, uh, for that is, is used one other time, I think in chapter 2, verse 12, and it talks about it's the energy that raised Christ from the dead. It's, it's, it's abundant for this task uh, that we need him for, and it's another way in which Christ's power is central. So let me, let me end just by challenging you. How central is Christ to your life? How central is Christ to your life? Christ should be central to all your efforts, to all that you're doing. It's certainly central to the ministry of this church. At the Bema seat judgment, which we all will face, what is not built on Christ, the foundation of Christ, will not stand. It'll be burned. What is found central, based on the centrality, the all-sufficiency of Christ, the work that's done uh, in the centrality of Christ will uh, stand. So how central is Christ to your practical, day-to-day activity? Well, this is a good measure. And let me challenge you to to make Christ central by engaging in these activities of proclaiming Christ. Let Christ be your message. Let Christ be your message. He is our message. Of admonishing others, placing Christ in their mind, placing his commands in uh, their mind, teaching them, teaching them to observe all that he has uh, commanded us and sitting down one-on-one with people at church and and encouraging them in that way, doing what it takes uh, in that way to present others complete in Christ. That should be our task. That should be our reason for being here is presenting others complete in Christ, another way in which Christ is central and to be toiling, agonizing, giving ourselves to this task, expecting power, resurrection power to come from Christ, power that comes from the life that's shared with the Lord Jesus Christ. And what better way to remind ourselves of the centrality of Christ than at his table, where we're commanded to remember Christ in a way that's even more personal than hearing about him in a sermon. There's words of Christ spoken at the Lord's table and then something placed in your hand, something placed in your mouth as as well, because Christ is presenting himself to you. And saying the words to you, my body is for you. In the same way that this bread is for you, my body is uh, for you, both in the penalty that I paid on your behalf and in the life that I share with you, the power that I share, the love that I share, the character that I share with you as well. What's mine is yours. What's yours is mine. And so this, my body is uh, for you. And then my blood is for you. It's the blood of the new covenant, a covenant that he makes with us that features especially the forgiveness of sins. The Lord says, just as my body is for you, my blood is shed for you for uh, forgiveness uh, of sins. And so it's received by faith. That's what's uh, at issue at uh, the Lord's table is to receive all that's promised to us by faith in order that we might make Christ central in every way as we seek to obey him. Uh, as well by proclaiming Christ uh, as our message, as our goal, and as our strength as well. Let's pray in his name. Dear Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We uh, pray that you might speak to us from your word, from Christ's mouth, uh, to tell us uh, this uh, amazing message that uh, Christ's body is for us that his blood is for us. And we pray that this might be an encouragement for us to make Christ central in every way, to proclaim Christ, 
to present one another and do the difficult work of presenting one another complete in Christ and to rely on the power that comes from Christ when we make him to be central. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.